Welcome everybody to the September edition of Talking Tables with Bill, Bill and David. David. On this month's episode, we're going to deviate from our usual topics and talk more about the history of surgery. Yeah, Bill. The 1st of October is coming up, and with sales school, we thought it'd be fun to share some the history of surgery as well as a few fun facts. Let's start off here with the first fun fact from our administrative table site. As far back as 10,000 BC, it's noted to be the first surgery. What surgery is that, you ask? Circumcision. Yeah, it really makes you curious why circumcision became the, the first surgery out there. You know, they had woolly mammoth battles and saber-toothed tiger battles. I'm sure people were getting broken arms and broken legs. And they're looking at that and they're saying, yeah, that's okay. You can probably walk that off. And then some bright guy had the idea to say, hey, I've got an idea. Let's try this. <laughs> and somehow that caught on. Yeah, I'd have to say, it's not like they had pants with zippers back then, and it just happened by accident. Yeah, it's just a weird scenario. I don't know how that became the first thing that uh, really was a documented surgery. It just seems weird. Moving on. The world's longest surgery took 103 hours. That record was set in 2001. Initially, they didn't expect the surgery to last this long, but it was a separation of conjoined twins in Singapore, after they had started the surgery, they realized that the brains of the two individuals were so tightly fused that it was going to take an unprecedented amount of time to finish the surgery. And again, that holds the record at 103 hours. In 1921, a physician by the name of Evan O'Neill from Pennsylvania wanted to prove that either the primary general anesthetics at the time was being used far too often when less dangerous local anesthetics could be substituted. So what did Mr. Kane do? He decided to be the first test case and operate on himself, removing his own appendix, using only local anesthetics. So he did this by propping himself up on the operating table, used a mirror over his abdomen. He, he did have three other doctors in the operating room as backup, but he made a large incision needed to remove the appendix, and his assistant sutured him up. This was before the new techniques allowed doctors to make small band-aid sized incisions in the appendix removal. The doctor recovered nicely. Then in 1932 at age 70, Dr. Kane performed an even more complicated surgery on himself to repair a hernia. Because of the close proximity to the femoral artery during the surgery, it was partially delicate operation. The doctor then performed it in just under two hours. Reportedly, he was relaxed and joking even as he sutured himself within millimeters of the important blood vessels. I wonder what he ended up charging himself for that. I bet you that was an insurance nightmare. I'm assuming his anesthetic bill was pretty small. Here's another interesting fun fact. The oldest surgical tool is a lowly knife, which is still the most used tool in the world today. Evidence of knives used in surgery dates back to 8000 BC in the Mesolithic era. The belief was that Peruvian tribes used these uh, initial knives to cut holes into the human skull to alleviate headaches. Yeah, you can just throw me a bottle of Bayer. Bonus fact about knives, the modern scalpel. There are now 67 types of scalpels available in the U.S. And they are to be held like a violinist holds its bow, not like a pen or hammer or racket. Most scalpels are made from carbon or stainless steel. But there are still ones available made from obsidian, the same material that some of the very first knives were made from. 
The oldest known suture dates to a mummy from 1100 BC, even though historians believe the practice goes back much further. Things they would use for sutures back then would be hair, flax, hemp, nerves, or even arteries, Bill. Nowadays, sutures are likely to be made of nylon. Have you ever heard the term blow smoke up someone's backside? Well, that actually comes from a medical device. In the 1750s to the early 1800s, a tobacco enema was actually used as a way to resuscitate drowning victims. I guess that would wake me up. Today's fun facts have been brought to you by YourHealthRemedy.com, PopularMechanics.com, Newsweek.com, SkylarCorp.com, BrooklynBrainery.com, and SurgicalTechnologist.net. Recently, I've been having some requests to create table comparisons. Um, more than happy to do that. Actually would recommend anybody that ever feels like they need anything put on paper to compare. We can go ahead and get that out to you. Uh, if it's anything that's a little bit more complicated, we can always run it through marketing to kind of clean up the edges. Um, just requires a little bit more time, so just keep that in mind. But yeah, if you guys want to just keep sending things our way, we'd be more than happy to help you out. Dissecting with David. Ow! Just kidding. It didn't hurt. Just got my first flu shot of the season. CDC estimates that the flu has sickened up to 15.2 million Americans so far this season, with roughly 80,000 deaths from the influenza last year. So, this is just a friendly reminder, you guys. Get that poke. Special shout-out! Congratulations to Jeff Dykus, the new Midwest Regional Director. Way to go, Jeff. We look forward to working with you. I had an interesting question from Alan from Techscapes this week, and I figured I would share that with you. Alan uh, gave me a call and asked if he could put two 40-inch carbon fiber extensions on a 3603, I believe it was. As you know, the 3603 has a removable back and leg section, and you could, in theory, put two carbon fiber extensions, one on each side. The short answer to that is yes, you can. There's nothing that keeps you physically or regulatory-wise keeps you from being able to do that. The danger, if there is a danger involved, is in the movement of the patient. So if you kind of think this through, if, if they need an extension on both the back and the leg section, it's probably not because they have a 14-foot patient. It's because they need to do imaging on the lower half of the body and then also imaging on the upper half of the body. So at some point during that surgery, they're going to have to slide that patient from one end all the way to the other. So that's the really the, the thing that you want to caution about is the movement of that patient. Anytime you have to move a patient, there's an inherent danger, not only for the patient, but the staff. Remember, they're the ones who are going to have to lift that individual. You want to just make sure that when they do make that movement, they're using the proper amount of caution. It, it always helps to keep the table lower. That just makes it more stable, makes it easier for the staff to uh, move that patient as well. Uh, so just keep that in mind. If you ever have that question or that type of question comes up, you know, think beyond just, hey, can this accessory fit? Think about the whole process in its entirety. And in this case, again, the, the real cautionary tale is the movement of the patient. As we wrap up here, I'd like to send a special birthday, happy birthday to our own David Walton. Congratulations, David. How many years does this make? 34 years young 
as of yesterday. Got a card from corporate, and unfortunately, nothing fell out when I opened it. Well, at least it wasn't a pink slip, David. Well, that ends another exciting podcast. We wish you all the best, and thanks for listening. Goodbye, everybody.